Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Pastor Jim's desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application to our daily lives. Today, we continue with another message in our series, The Abiding Christian. This message is called The Three R's of the Abiding Life. In this message, Jesus is teaching the apostles how to stay close to Him after He dies on the cross, rises from the dead, and returns to heaven. While the teaching is directed at the apostles, it also applies to all of us Jesus followers. Jesus is teaching us to remain, rest, and rely on Him each and every day. Jesus knows this will revolutionize our spiritual growth and experience. Let's join Pastor Jim in part two of his message. So in this sense, when we talk about his word living inside of us, and John chapter one puts the word in Jesus as being interchangeable, we realize the promise of Jesus living inside of us is experienced by his word living inside of us. I find sometimes it goes like this. I'm, I'm reading my Bible and all of a sudden I'm just shocked. Now, why would I be shocked on something I've read over and over again? Because as I'm reading it, God has brought something new to my mind or new to my heart. Or I find myself being emotional. You know, I always say, if you, if you don't have a box of tissues where you read your Bible, maybe you should invest in one because all of a sudden something comes to my mind that maybe is very, very sad. Now, resting at God is an interesting thing. We, we often say, we talk about waiting on the Lord. People are like, what are you doing? Like, I'm just waiting on the Lord. Waiting is what we do when we're waiting for God to fulfill his promises. Resting is a little bit different. Uh, resting at times is passive. It, it, it's passive. Uh, we transfer the events of our lives to Jesus and we let him handle it. There's nothing we can do about it. Some of you have heard the story that from years ago when I had my back surgery, I was lying in the hallway and they were gonna take me into the operating room. And so the doctor comes up to me and he says, how you doing? And I go, this is great. My poor wife, her face was as white as the snow. And so I said, this is great. And, and he looks at me like, why is this great? I go, there's nothing I can do about this. Because there was a worry that I was going to become, or concerned that I was going to become paralyzed. And so, uh, I mean, I couldn't really move much the, the, my, the lower part of my body. And I said, I'm totally in God's hands. There's nothing I can do about this. So he looks at the nurse, the surgeon looks at the nurse and he goes, it's funny what people say when the, med when the, uh, you know, the, the medicine kicks in. And she goes, I haven't given it to him yet. <laughs> and he looked at me like, what kind of a nut job are you? But there was nothing I could do about it. I was totally in God's hands. Notice I didn't say I was in his hands. I was in God's hands. There's other times in our resting when we are active. We obey the word of the Lord and we do the things we know that the word of God would have us to do. So obeying the word of the Lord is a sign that to you, that you are resting in Christ's way and not your own. It is a sign that you are living at that moment an abiding life. Well, let's think about the apostles. It's the night before the crucifixion. Soon, they, they, the city's hot. People are looking for Jesus. They're kind of confused. They're young guys, probably late teens, early 20s. And, and soon, it's amazing how much trust Jesus put in somebody of that age. And we, we would never do that, but Jesus does. We should do more of that. Uh, soon, the apostles will be in a panic about Jesus' arrest. 
in the Garden of Gethsemane, about the phony trials and convictions as a criminal done by the religious leaders who cannot invoke the death penalty and need to hand him over to the Romans. We studied that in Matthew. The, the religious leaders convict him of blasphemy, saying that he was God. And the Romans, of say, they told the Romans, well, he says he's a king. And if he says he's a king, you know what Caesar said, that he's the only king. So Caesar says you have to kill him. And then he's gonna die on the cross. So they're in a complete panic. And it's, Jesus seems to be teaching them that his presence with them his personal dwelling in them, which will take place in the person and power of the Holy Spirit, as we said before, is actually going to be experienced when they realize, not in that necessarily in that moment, but certainly they will later on, that the word of God is dwelling in them. And when you get into the word of God and you get the word of God into you, you will be amazed how often it comes to mind things that you could never remember. Don't worry about getting it exactly right. Don't worry about having the address exactly right, you know, chapter and verse, but just, wow, God says this, and this was for that moment. That's why we say sometimes people come out of a sermon, they go, well, I really didn't get much out of it, and I'll always go, today, but you'll need this someday. So this all logically means that we cannot have Jesus apart from his word, and we can't abide, we can't remain, we can't be attached to the vine without resting in the word of God. Now, this is a little bit sad to me because it seems to me that many people want Jesus without his teaching. Many people want Jesus without the responsibilities that come with being a follower of Jesus without the responsibilities that the word of God gives to his people. Some people are like, oh, you don't have to do anything. The word of God is constantly telling us for Christians how they are to live out once they put their trust in Jesus Christ. So if you, don't, if you want Jesus, but you don't want his teaching, if you want Jesus, but you're not willing to live up to the best of your can with God's help, the power of the word of God living, living out the Christian life in your life. If you don't want those things, friend, I wanna be as honest as I can with you and as loving as I can. You're not abiding. You're just not. See, there's a, there's a big, big problem in the church today. And I want to say it to you as honestly as I can, but perhaps for some of you, you just need the firm love of God's rod and staff, of God's pruning to talk to you at this moment. You see, there's a big reason to be able, for me to be able to say that very few Christians are abiding. Very few Christians are abiding. And I find no pleasure in saying that. You say, well, do you have any kind of evidence of that? Well, last week, the American Bible Society, I got this email to me from about like 10 people. Last, last week, the American Bible Society released its 10th annual State of the Bible Survey. 10th annual State of the Bible Survey and talking about the Bible reading habits of Americans. And consistent with the last few years, interesting, they don't call it Bible reading. They call it scripture engagement. I love that term. I just think that's such a good term because you can sit and read the Bible and be like, you know, oh, read the Bible, checked it off my list. God must be pretty happy with me. No, they talked about scripture engagement, that scripture engagement is continuing over the last 10 years. It wasn't great 10 years ago, but it is continuing 
to decline among self-proclaimed Christians. Check this out. In 2019, 35% of Christians said they only use their Bible when they go to church. So you know that a lot of people put their Bible you know, on their, in their car somewhere and it's kind of sun-beaten. And they're like, yeah, maybe I should get a new Bible. That, that sun-beaten Bible. If your Bible's sun-beaten from only using it in church, it's time for a new Bible. And one that you're going to take with you wherever you go. It's, it's, that's why I like to write in my Bible because then when I come to it again, the passage, I've, I've got some memory joggers for me. Now, 35% 2019. Now it's 2020. Same percentage. That's a big problem. 35%, more than one-third, only read their Bible when they are in church. Now, some of you might say, well, those are marginal Christians. You know, those are the people at the church down the street. That, that's not us, Pastor Jim. Well, the survey also indicated that right now, only 9%, 9% of self-proclaimed Christians engage with the Bible daily. Only 9%. Now, listen, if you miss a day here and there, I think you could say that that's, we understand that. And I think that God, God knows that, and, and you can engage with God in many, many different ways uh, when you're in the Word of God regularly. But that, 9%, is the lowest in the history of the survey. And interesting, the study concluded that there was a direct correlation between people's lack of church attendance and their engagement with people in the church. So the 9% that were daily readers were very much regular church attenders. Now, regular church attenders is, is defined as twice a month now. People used to go to church, gosh, a lot of times church had three services a week, so that could be 12 times a month. But I think that that 9% probably is people who go almost at least once a week. And so they concluded that the correlation, again, was between church attendance and engagement with the people in the church in some type of either group setting or discipleship thing or something like that, really proving to us, Proverbs 27, 17, that iron sharpens iron, that, that we have a big effect on one another in keeping us engaged in the scriptures. Maybe it's just motivating us. You know, you hear some guy in a, or some woman in a, in a group that you're in and you're like, wow, how did you learn so much Bible? And they go, one day at a time, man. Took years, but it's been a wonderful, wonderful journey. Also, this was interesting, that uh, the people, number of people that are considered unchurched is on the rise. Now, a lot of people think, well, that's just the young people. They just walking away from the church, but that's not really what they were talking about. And again, I want to say this in love. Uh, if you have not attended church, now you're attending right now, I get it. But if you have not attended church in the last four to six months, you are now considered to be unchurched. And I think we all know that if we're not careful, four to six months of skipping anything can go by very, very quickly. So if we're not uh, staying or remaining with Jesus and we're not resting in his word, we're not abiding in him. And that is not good for a Christian and that is not good for the world. The reality is we can't rest in the promises of God 
unless we are being freshly filled with the promises of God. Can I say that again to you? I know I'm repeating myself here and there, but there's some really important key things we need to remember. We can't rest in the promises of God unless we are being freshly filled anew with those promises. And I'm gonna tell you, five years ago, this month, if I was preaching five years ago today, when I was telling you that, it probably would have been through some very difficult experiences in my life, and I've had a lot of them prior to five years ago, but though what I just said has never been as real to me as it has been in the last five years. In a few weeks will be the five-year anniversary when something happened to me neurologically that is very, very difficult to explain, very difficult for doctors to understand. And so for five years, I've been just a, a neurological train wreck or shipwreck, however you want to say it. And yet so many of you have said to me, we have seen God's strength and power in you in such an incredible way in the last five years. I mean, I've had days when, you know, I've been kind of shocked. If I get shocked, I have these sort of mini seizures or these mini episodes. When I get up onto the stage and I don't even know my name, I couldn't even tell you my own social security number. And yet God has been so faithful. I've had times driving in the car and, and, and hearing on our radio station me preaching and remember how I fe felt that day and started to cry and said, God, you are so faithful. And you know, you'll never, you'll never really understand God's faithfulness without a daily intake of the word of God when he is telling you things and then either you're watching them lived out in somebody else's life or watching them lived out in your life or you know that they are coming in your life. Now, all of this stuff about making a determined effort, you can take this as a negative if you want. That's your choice. There's nothing I can do about that. Or you can see it as a path to rest for your tired and anxious soul. For many of you, I know this to be true. There was probably a time in your life that you would call the abiding years or the abiding months or the abiding weeks. And, and you remember those times. Why, why can I say the past five years? Do I like living what I've lived out? No, but I've been holding on for dear life, let me tell you. I feel like I'm on the roller coaster and realize they never strapped me in. That's the way I feel every day. So if that's you, if, if you feel like there was a time when you were abiding and now that time seems to be gone, the word of God is the key back. Take this as an invitation from the king of saying to you, I want you to come back. I want to have that relationship with you. So from remaining in Christ, staying with Christ, to resting in Christ, the third R is abiding uh, in Christ, and abiding in Christ is relying on Christ. So the third word is rely, relying on Christ. Let's look at the end of verse seven, just the end, and then we're gonna go back to the entirety of verse seven. The, the end of verse seven, sadly, is one of the most misused verses in the entirety of the New Testament. It's a great way to raise money. 
It's a great way to lie to people and get them to, to buy into your stuff and to, and to you know, just say, if, it doesn't, if you don't get what you want, well, I guess you didn't have enough faith. So let's listen to this. You will ask, Jesus says, what you desire, and it shall be done for you. I want a mansion. I want a new car. I want a family that always does what I want. I want my life to be one big, happy, joyful fest. Good luck with that one. <laughs> That's not, that is not life this side of eternity. So now let's go back and read the whole verse without interruptions based upon what we already heard. If, that is a massive if. Last chance to circle it and put an arrow out into the, into the margin of your Bible. Everything depends upon the if. If you abide in me, in other words, if, if someone remains in me, Jesus says, someone stays with me, and my words abide in you. And, the, and so Jesus' words, what we have here in the scripture, the word of God, it is, it is part of you. We might say, then. If those two conditions are true, then you will ask what you desire. Let me stop. Because your desires will be the result of abiding in Christ and Christ's word abiding in you. And it shall be done for you. Another version says, it will take place for you. So let's just start with a very simple, simple, basic thing. If you are abiding in Christ, the prayers of an abiding person are much more centered on the will of God and the kingdom of God than they are in being self-centered. Do we understand that? Very important. You'll, if, if you're abiding, and you're abiding in Christ and abiding in his word, the focus of your prayers will dramatically change. Such prayers will be like Jesus prayed, thy will be done, not my will be done. Now, can you ask for yourself? Yes, but abiding will help you if you don't like the answer. The abiding will help you if it's not God's will for you now or maybe even in the future or you're gonna have to wait. Prayer is relying on Christ and the massive if tells us that abiding in Christ is a condition of prevailing prayer. Now, Dependency on Christ or relying on Christ is the conscious realization of my need for God's help as well as being completely aware of how weak my own self-sufficiency is. So I'm dependent upon him. Now, you may say, I, excuse me, Pastor Jim, I don't really hear a lot of praying like this to which I will draw your attention back to two things. Remember the if, and remember the American Bible Society survey. Without praying, the scripture says we ask amiss, we ask for the wrong things, without abiding, or so without abiding, we pray for the wrong things. Much of our prayer is in vain because it's out of step with what the Lord is doing. Yet, 
such prayers that are in step are answered. Because of his love, God often says no. Because if he gave us what we want or what we ask for, a lot of times it would hurt us. Or sometimes what we ask for is just not his will or his way. So what does Jesus mean then when he says, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you? This is the problem when we take Bible verses out of context, and this is what a lot of preachers do, and we try to make them say something that was not intended. But it draws a crowd, it makes people happy, and then when they don't get an answer, you go, you don't have enough faith. (laughs) You got people coming and going on that one. What's actually happening here is Jesus is building on something he said in chapter 14. Remember we said chapter 14 was more about what God is doing. Chapter 15 is more about what we are doing. He's already told them something. Now, there's a lot going on. They're probably not going to really, they're probably not really absorbing all of this, but eventually they're going to come back to it and they're going to put all the pieces together and they're going to figure out what he was talking about. So let's look back just one chapter in chapter 14, drawing your attention to verse 12. Jesus says this. Now, they're still at the Last Supper now. Remember, at the end of verse 14, chapter 14, we saw in a previous study, Jesus said, come on, let's go. He says this. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me. Let's stop right there. He says, most assuredly, I say to you. When the scripture says most assuredly or verily, verily, or you know, sure, you know, assuredly, assuredly, truly, truly, When Jesus says that, that's our clue for what, Bible students? Pay careful attention. Pay very, you're like, I want to pay careful attention to everything he says. Jesus is like, this is like double. This is okay. Wake the kid up there in the third row that's asleep. Everybody has to know this. It's going to be on the test. It's going to be on the quiz. Pay attention. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, let's stop right there. Belief, what what does it mean to believe in Jesus? He's been saying all along that he's God. That's why the religious leaders want to string him up on a cross. Again, they're going to have to get the Romans to do it by saying he's a king. They say you, they're charged against him. You being a mere man, make yourself out to be equal with God. And Jesus didn't go, oh, you got me all wrong. He didn't say that at all. So he says, believe in me. So believe more similar to our word trust. Believe in me. The idea is, a personal commitment to Jesus. So if you believe in me, the works that I do, he will do also. So he's telling this to the guys at the Last Supper. And notice this, greater works than these he will do. Now you're sitting there going, I'm going to do what Jesus did? Now, in some cases, the apostles in very limited fashion very, they were not doing miracles like Jesus was. And then he says, in greater works than these he will do. How? Not a, a better question than how is why? Why? He says, because I go to my father. All of this is going to happen. Whatever he's talking about is because he goes to my father. So it means it's after the cross, the resurrection, the ascension into heaven, and the coming of the Spirit of Christ, Galatians 4 tells us, uh, the, the, the coming of the Holy Spirit. 
to us. So all this is going to happen after it because he goes to his father. And verse 13, then he says, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. Why? That the father may be glorified in the son. So a lot of the things that we pray for, do they bring glory to God? Well, probably not. Then he says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So what are the greater works? Typically, people divide it into three categories. You could put a lot more into it. Some say it's quantity. There'll be more quantity. And you know what? 2,000 years of the church and all the number of good things that people have done, I would imagine it's fair to say that you could say that maybe the, the, the sheer number of nice things that Christian people did might exceed the sheer number of things that Jesus did. That might be a possibility. Uh, more spectacular than Jesus? No way. <laughs> Not even close. No way. Take what you've just heard from Pastor Jim Kevney on Changed by Love and share it with a friend or neighbor. Encouraging words are priceless in today's world. Pastor Jim relies on your prayer and support each day to reach thousands of people just like you. You can also find other ways to team with Changed by Love on our website at changedbyloveradio.org or you can call 862-217-9686. We are called by His name to change the world and we are stronger together than we could ever be apart. You and Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Thank you for your support and the time you spend with Changed by Love.